Hi guys, hi ladies, I can see you. <laughs> Heck yeah, thanks for just bringing us to that mindset, Tessa. Is it too early in the year to say the snow is beautiful? The snow is beautiful. Heck yeah. You guys ready to study the Bible? Yeah? That's what we're doing. We're getting into the Bible in order to find out more of who the God of the Bible is and how that applies directly to your life. So if you got a Bible with you, we're going to be spending a lot of time in 1 Samuel. And so if you want to flip there while I do, please please do that. I got a new tablet, and it's, it and it's by, my Bible are now too big for this. What do I do? Good thing it's got a protection case around it. All right. Let's get into the Bible. So for me, the most powerful part of the Bible is that it's real history. You guys think about that? That the stories within are records of actual events. In the same way that we learn about Alexander the Great conquering most of the known world and Christopher Columbus setting sail, the Bible allows us to learn about real men's and women's lives. And it's so supported. Over and over, there's just so much evidence saying that this is fact. But the most beautiful thing about it, the most powerful thing about these stories, is that we get to see the one who made everything directly interacting with these normal people. Because of the basic DNA of humanity, it really does not change, regardless of what culture or technological advancements that you're in. And the God of the Bible, he is always the same. So from these stories, we can learn lessons that directly apply to our lives 3,000 years later. For this six-week study, we're looking at Saul and David. Most of you probably know they were kings of Israel. And we're looking at their lives, their reign, in order to learn lessons of how to live a successful life. Now, we started off this series redefining success, looking through a biblical lens. Now, according to Jesus, living a successful life means that we love God with everything that we are and that we love people the way that we want to be loved. That is success. Last week, Ben looked at how important it is to use the resources God gives us, his spirit and his community, in order to be successful. Tonight, we're going to look at the need for us to step forward with courage and to act as if what we believe is true. To live like what we believe is true is true. Now let's jump into the Bible. Like I said, we'll be kind of dwelling on 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 11, we get to see Saul's really one triumphant moment in his entire recorded reign. So Saul has just been elected or voted in as king and some opponents, some enemies step in. So 1 Samuel eleven five. Now Saul was coming in from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, what is the matter with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the message from the inhabitants of Jabez. Now that message was from a group of individuals. The Ammonites said, we want you all to gouge out every single or one eye from every man. Right? If you don't do that, we're going to kill you, but we want to be friendly, so please gouge out your left eye, and then we'll be good. Right? And the people hear this, and they freak out. So Saul comes back, finds out about that. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul in power when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. 
He took a yoke of oxen and cut them into pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. He's a great leader. The dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they all came out as one. Then skip ahead a few verses. Saul is approaching the enemy. The next day, Saul put the people in three companies. At the morning watch, they came into the camp and cut down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Saul exhibits courage, and the enemy is defeated. Let's look at David and Goliath. Right? One of the most well-known stories in the entire Bible, 1 Samuel 17. So David is the youngest of eight brothers, and he's just hanging out at home, keeping care of all the sheep and helping his dad. His dad then sends him with a care package for his brothers to the enemy lines. And so he gets up there to the front lines, um, and then we see um, that he leaves the things that he had brought. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with him, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. Now these words are saying, you are a bunch of weasels. I've come here to crush you. Send one man, I dare you. Whoever wins this battle, right, wins the entire war. So David hears these words. Let's go ahead and skip ahead a little bit further. One more, please, Jack. So now David's in front of Saul because David said, heck no, man can't say that about my God. He said, let no one's heart fail because of him. Goliath, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're just a boy and he has been a a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and I struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. I think we got one more, right? So now David is face to face with Goliath. The Philistine said, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine armies this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not say by sword and spear, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Whoa. And we know what happens. Both of these men in these circumstances are face-to-face with an enemy. Other nations that desire to put the Israelites, God's people, under their rule. People that want to grab a hold of the good things that God has given his chosen people and replace them with hardship. 
In both of these situations, Saul and David stepped forward to do what God had called them to do, lead his people. Now, it's so easy to assume that this was a simple task, something that anyone would be willing to do. But in both situations, everyone else in Israel was unwilling to stand up and fight back. This is millions of people. Because of that, it seems obvious that this was not a place that any of us would want to be. Imagine that powerful men who were fully equipped to hack you into pieces had their eyes set on you and your people. It's also important for us to remember that Saul and David were not superheroes. Rather, they were real men, people like you and me. Men who had fears that caused them to be hesitant or completely terrified of doing what God had called them to do. We see this with Saul and Goliath. Saul was king. He was a head taller than any other man. But he was unwilling to face Goliath. So instead, he tries to bribe warriors of Israel to be brave in his place. And then sends a boy. Now, in the text we just read, both Saul and David are in a hard spot. The nation that they are called to lead is being attacked by a strong people that desire to do them nothing but harm. Let's move to application. For us, living in 21st century America or Central America, it seems like we have it real easy. There's not another nation occupying our lands, trying to steal our freedom. We are free to roam through our city, state, country, doing whatever we please. We literally live in the land of the free. But when we begin viewing life through a biblical lens, like I had already mentioned, we are created to love the God of the Bible with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. That's Matthew 22. You are also made to love people the same way that you love yourself. According to the entire Bible, this is the reason why you exist. These are the foundational purposes of mankind. And when we think about that, we definitely have enemies fighting against what should be our natural tendency. As followers of Jesus, those who believe in the God of the Bible and desire to do his will the way that he designed us to live, we have metaphorical strong men knocking on our doors, wanting to bring us under their authority and control. Within each of us is something the Bible calls the flesh. This is a byproduct of rejecting God and his plans for creation. It's been a part of you since the moment you were conceived. At your flesh's foundation lies selfishness, a desire to do what's best for you. It doesn't matter if it falls in line with your creator's design, if it will bring him glory, or if it will be a way to love others well. The end goal of our flesh is instant gratification to our momentary longings. Now, it's nice. Galatians 5 gives us a list of what the flesh entails. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Feel free to get out Google Dictionary. I'll break these down for you. You ever struggle with anger? You ever struggle with lust? Sexual desire? How about drunkenness? A desire to medicate and to escape. Or jealousy? Looking at things and they want, you want them to be yours. 
your kids or your spouse or your boss ever frustrate you? Wanting you to say something that is a little bit less than loving? Have you ever seen someone on a screen or in real life that you find attractive? Did you ever look twice? A third time? In certain parts on their body that make your body feel a certain way? Have you ever felt the desire or even need to drink one, two, three in order to escape the boredom or pain of your day? How about envy? Have you ever seen a layout of a living room or a kitchen that you know you must have? Or a car that you're willing to do whatever you have to in order for it to be yours? Now I could share example after example of these things. And so could you. All of these things and endless more are byproducts of our selfish drive. They all stem from our innate longing to have whatever you believe will make you happy. They naturally flow out of a belief that you are your own God of your own world and that things and people exist to make your life better. Because this is a natural inborn element of every person, this belief and and the actions that stem from it are at the foundation of our culture. Everywhere you look, selfishness is embraced and encouraged. So our enemies are not only within us, but they're also prowling around every corner of our days. Now you may be wondering why why I am referring to these things and this style of living as enemies. Just like we saw with David and Saul, an enemy's desire is to steal what is good, to take over a person's life and force them into submission to their will. This is exactly what our selfishness does. Now, if you continue down the train of thought of any of those vices, the ones that I gave you examples of, anger, lust, drunkenness, jealousy, I promise you that you will find heartache and loss. And you don't have to think about them for very long. Each of these have the power to steal good from a person's life, from their emotions. Think about the sadness that comes and the anger and the overwhelming rage. Steal goodness from your relationships, from your health, from your ability to provide the necessities. And selfishness is not just looking for a one-time win. It wants to have complete ownership over our belief systems, which influence our thoughts, which influence our actions, which influence our entire life. Selfishness is similar to Goliath. It says, come to me and I will feed you to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. Your flesh cares only about your immediate longings. It will gladly sacrifice your deeper contentment for a momentary high. We are in a state that is far more similar to the Israelites and the Philistines than we tend to know or recognize. So let's go back to Saul and David to see if there's any lessons that we can learn for our here and now. Now, when Saul and David heard about their enemies and the plans that they had for, their, for the people of Israel, they were willing and able to courageously walk into the battle. And don't you love the idea of a hero? Someone who is willing to move out of what is comfortable and into the dangerous so that they can stand against the darkness. And this is a premise of so many movies and books that we love. But for our sake, 
for those who live in the real world, why were Saul and David willing to do this? What drove them to move out of their comfort zones into the dangerous? Let's look at two verses. So first, Saul. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul in power when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. So that one's obvious. How about David? But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and I struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of these. Why? Since he has defied the armies of the living God. Now for both men, they were driven by God. For Saul, the Spirit of God empowered his thoughts and his emotions and created a passion to defend God's people. For David, Goliath was openly defying the God of Israel and his people. Because of this, David was willing to face the giant head on. Now to answer the why for us, let's look specifically at David and his rationale for stepping onto a battlefield with a man the size of Aaron Costello. Do me a favor, stand up. I'm so glad you're here. If you wouldn't mind. We, a physical picture. So, Aaron, how, t- how tall are you? 6'7". Six, seven. Six, seven. So, based on scripture that we find, the Rephraim, another tribe that Goliath came out of, was two feet taller than Aaron. Imagine that. David, a man most likely shorter than me, going against a man two feet taller than Aaron. Put that into, like, reality. That's why it's important to think about why he was willing to do this. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. It sounds like for David, the driving force behind him, courageously fighting back against the enemy, was a deep and a very real belief that God was real. That his God was above any other nation's God. Due to David's allegiance to Yahweh, and Goliath's overt stance against Yahweh, David is determined to destroy his enemy. Now, there's direct application for you and I. I believe the reason why we should courageously stand against our fleshly desires is the exact same. If you believe that the God of the Bible is real, that he created you, that he is the one that made everything we know, If you believe you have today because he gave it to you, that all of your strengths and talents and uniqueness of your personality are yours because of the way that he chose to design you, then you should also believe that his way of life for you is the best possible way. That his plans for you and your days are far better than your passing thoughts of what you think is best. David penned it this way in Psalms 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decree of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. That's his plans, what he desires for your life. If you believe this, 
that the God is re- that the God of the Bible is real, then just like David, you should be willing to courageously fight against your longings for instant gratification. When your anger or lust or greed or desire to escape rears its ugly head out of your belief that the God of the Bible is real, then you should choose to stand against your natural desires. But just like Saul's and David's battle, this is far easier said than done, isn't it? Because of our innate desire to seek and experience instant gratification and our culture's willingness to reinforce that, how are we going to win these battles against our flesh? Now, in the same way that we can learn from Saul and David about the why, I think we can also see the how. Now, in the same way that Saul's desires to fight the the enemy comes from God, he is also empowered by God to defeat his enemies. And so Saul kind of makes a statement in 1 Samuel 11, 11 and 12. So the people said, who is it that said this? Shall Saul reign over us? Give them to us so that we may, that way we may put them to death. Right? So there's some dissenters before the battle. But Saul said, no one shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has brought deliverance to Israel. The same is true for David. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, Saul and David understood their own inherent weakness in comparison to their enemies. But even more so, they fully understood the power of their God, the one who had called them to lead their people. They knew that God would empower them to protect Israel against the wickedness of the opposing nations. Both men knew that the almighty maker of heaven and earth was on their side and that no enemy could stand in his way. Now, if you are a follower, in Je- follower of Jesus, then you are in the same place with the God of the universe. If you truly believe the God of the Bible is real and have cried out to him to save you from your own brokenness, then you have been given his spirit, capital S, the spirit of God himself, part of the Trinity. After a person is forgiven, completely cleansed of the rebellion against God, then they are filled with God himself. I know that's just almost unfathomable, so hard to even consider what that is. But from this position within your heart, now somebody please tell me what the Bible means when it says heart. This is like my goal to teach you this in a year. Three different things. In both the Hebrew and the Greek, it means what? Mind, emotions, and willpower. So it's who you are. Your mind, your emotions, and your willpower. Good job, Tim. A plus. Now, from this position, the, t- the Spirit has the ability to give you the life that you want, to protect you against the darkness that is ingrained in our culture and transform you from a self-centered God of your own world into one who depends on the maker of everything and wants to love other people well. Let's go to Galatians 5. So we looked at the flesh, but he also talks about the spirit. So he kind of sets the stage in Galatians 5.16. Paul says, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. 
and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you doing what you want. So there's that battle that's raging within you. And then he lists out what comes from the spirit. By contrast, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you were raised in the church, it's so easy to cycle through those. But if you take any time actually thinking about what each of those are, it's like, my goodness, that's what I want more of in my life. It's what I need more of. I really hope you're understanding what Paul is writing. If you believe in Jesus, then there's a battle raging within you. God versus your flesh, the one that will lead you to the best possible life, one with love, joy, peace, patience, right? All those good things. He's versus battling the part of you that is fully set on selfish and destructive choices. Now, even though this battle is between the infinite and all-powerful versus the finite and the flawed, the outcome is heavily dependent on your choice. Paul says in Galatians 5.25, one more if you wouldn't mind. Thank you. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. So the Spirit is within us. That's what gives us the eternal life. But then you see that? We live by Him, but then we're also given the choice of whether or not we follow. Just like Saul and David, daily, really moment by moment, the choice is set before you. Are you going to fight against the darkness or simply sit back and let it have its way? Are you going to choose to depend on your creator or on yourself? Now, as I wrap this up, I want to talk a little bit more tangibly because this has all been theoretical. What does this battle look like tangibly in our lives? Now, I encourage you to think of the battle in two realms, proactive and reactive. Now, with being proactive, just like Saul went to where the enemy was, we can preemptively fight against our selfishness. Now, I believe time is one of our most valuable resources. If you are willing to set apart time to make God, not you, your priority, then it is like giving your selfish nature an uppercut. Taking time to talk to God. Taking time to read your Bible. Time to sit in the stillness, reflecting on how good God has been to you. Taking time to meet regularly with people that believe in the God of the Bible. Now, all of these can sound passive, but in reality, they are a direct assault to your flesh. Direct assault on your selfish tendencies of greed, anger, lust, or unhealthy pleasure. And being willing to carve out time in your busy day to do these things requires far more courage than you might think. The same is true with loving other people. Actively seeking out ways to be kind and supportive to people in your life is not only beneficial for them, but it also forces your own selfish interest to take a back seat for just a little while. Now, I promise you, you have plenty of opportunities to do this. Whether it is your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, your coworkers, classmates, or random people in the line of Qdoba, you have endless chances 
to love people in the way that you want to be loved. So in recent years, it's probably been a lot longer than I think, but I learned the best way to love my wife is to clean our house. I do that 1% of the time that I could. I've also found that the best way to love my kids is to spend my time doing what they want me to do. And I do that a little bit more than cleaning the house, but far less than I could. What keeps me from doing these easy and beautifully beneficial things? My selfishness. My desire to accomplish what I think is best for my life and for my family's life. Where at the root of those is loving them the way that they want to be loved. The second greatest commandment. In order to do this, I need to be more courageous. I need to be willing to sacrifice my time to step out of my comfortable, self-focused bubble in order to bring God's goodness into their world. You got the exact same opportunity, time after time. So proactive. But it's also crucial to be reactive. Now this is how David was with Goliath. He walked up, saw Goliath, it was time to react. Now, when you have a greedy or lustful thought flash through your mind, when your thoughts gravitate towards getting against, towards getting upset at your kid or your spouse or your boss, when a desire springs up to escape through some form of medication, this is when you must fight back like David. When you must recognize the enemy and understand its desire to destroy the good things in your life. When you do that, it's time to courageously fight back. Now, I know this is hard. I know what those thoughts and those feelings do to your mind and to your world. They're innate and they're so appealing, but you have to remember they want to steal away the life that you truly want. As powerful as they may be, God is on your side. We should approach it in the same way David did. Jack, if you wouldn't mind putting up the next 17, 44 through 47. I just, I read this before, but I just love the emotion and the the passion behind it. Goliath said, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. That's your lust. That's your greed, right? That's your desire to medicate. It's like, come to me. But David said, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin with ideas and thoughts about how to put this to place, with a woman or a man in front of me or a beautiful car, right, or a bottle of really good rum, you come at me. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not say by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That's how we must approach our internal battles, with that form of confidence, knowing that the God that we believe in, the one who has proven himself to you, that he will step in and do what you could never do. Let me give you an example from my own life. 
most of you probably know that from the time I was 15 to 27, I was just an avid pothead, loved smoking weed. But about six months before God put a complete end to it, he kind of called me to start fighting back. And I, I wanted to be courageous about it. And so I started actively and verbally fighting back against my thoughts to get high. I remember at one point driving down the road and I had that mouth-watering desire to get high, like literally mouth-watering desire. And I remember thinking, no, no, this is not happening. And I started shouting, profanity included, against Satan and my flesh, that in the name of Jesus, they must be gone. And like that, the craving was gone. And I found that whenever that came, I must approach it in the name of Jesus and the power that he alone can bring. We must courageously react to our fleshly desires if we want the life that you were designed to have. You got to cry out to the one who made you. Otherwise, you'll just be like everybody else in the world, fully shackled to their selfishness. So last thought, why should you be willing to be courageous, to fight against the things that we seem to be so, that we seem to naturally desire? It's simple. If you believe in the God of the Bible, then it starts, it's time to start living as if what you believe is true. Let that resonate. If you believe that you were created, by a perfect God who desires only goodness for you, but that you are broken. And whenever you do what you want to do, it ends in pain and loss. But you believe that God himself wants to step into your world and bring you more of his goodness. And all it takes is for you to cry out to him in order to receive his help. Now, if you believe that, start living as if it's true. And I promise you, your entire world, it will benefit, it will change, it will be sanctified and transformed because what you believe is true. Let's close in prayer. God, I just declare right now for all of us that we believe you are real. We believe that you are real, that you are what you've shown humanity that you are over the last 6,000 years. We desire for more of your goodness. So Spirit, if you're within any of us, if you're within all of us, we ask that you give us a thought something specific that we should be battling against. Put a desire, a tendency, just at the forefront of our minds so that way we can turn to you. That way we can come before you so that way that giant is gone. God, without you, we have nothing. We say that in confidence. Without you, we have nothing. But because of you, we have everything that we want.